It's Telly.Click, the podcast where Mike Ward, the Daily Stars TV critic, and me, Simon Hoban, from BBC Radio, look ahead to the week's telly. And we'll start with Monday as we do, Mike. Yeah, because Silent Witness continues at nine o'clock, Mondays and Tuesdays every week. And uh, the character played by Amelia Fox, Dr Nikki Alexander pathologist. I'm sure you're uh, familiar with Silent Witness and watch it religiously. Mm-hmm, um, last series, she was buried alive. I'll be honest, I wasn't watching at the time when she was buried alive, but she's been traumatised, so we picked it up uh, at the start of this current series, and she was in, a, in, in not in a good mental state and hasn't been no. since. Um, but there's a bit coming up in this one which makes me think that the writers have got a bit bored with the storyline and they don't know quite how to just move on from it. So they've got a big moment about, I don't know, I think it's about half an hour into the episode, I could be wrong, where uh, she and uh, one of her colleagues hug. And he was involved in the incident at the time in some way, I'm not entirely sure what. But they have a sort of hug and he apologises and it's all very emotional. Mm-hmm. And then they just move on to the next scene. And I'm thinking, that's got a sort of soapy ring to it where storyline's gone as far as it's going to go. Yeah. And they don't want to keep dragging it out. So that may well be it on the uh, the Buried Alive Consequences okay. thing. Uh, this next of King continuing on ITV. Um, I missed the second episode of that, but uh, there you go. And Stace is back in EastEnders. She went away a bit because she had that fling at Christmas with yeah. Max and she fell out with Martin as a result because she owned up to it all and she went away with the kids and now she's back and hoping everything's going to be back to normal. And it is going to be back to normal because they have a blazing row within about 10 minutes of her walking through the door. Ah. Do you think so she had good. some panto commitments? I don't think so. Had, I don't no. think so. I don't know if she does. No, she wasn't away long enough for right. doing that or, or anything along those lines. But there you mm. go. Oh, and Anna Windass in Coronation Street. It's uh, the, the verdict in her trial. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. What did she do? Uh, she uh, she was a kid. Well, she didn't do anything. She's innocent. But what Coronation Street has always done very well since the dawn of time is cases of gross injustice, mm. miscarriages of injustice, miscarriages of justice. It likes that because they get you wound up as a viewer, as a fan. If you watch a show, you know, religiously week in week out, and you you having a sort of uh, affection for a certain character and something. Un- grossly unfair oh, happens yeah. to them, normally involving you know uh, them being sent to jail for something they haven't done. People get very worked up. Deirdre Barlow being the classic example of that all those years ago. Well, I, I remember the um, Jordash case in Brookside. You know yeah. the patio. I mean, you really wanted them to yeah. come out the right side of that. Yeah, you get you get absorbed in these yeah. things, and you know, you know. I don't think it makes you a, a, a dim person. It just means it's the power of good yeah. writing and uh, good soap. So there you go. Tuesday, January the 23rd. National Television Awards. One of those that you look forward to? Phil Schofield? F- uh, no, no. It's uh, Dermot Oh, blimey, it's him again. <laughs> Paddy McGuinness is cropping up a lot now. I mean, they wouldn't do him, have him for this. No. Um, he annoys me, I'll be honest. Mm. You know. It's that gruff northerner thing, isn't it? Bluff northerner. I just think it's a bit... He plays on that a bit. Is, yeah. that, is that wrong for me to no, say No, he that? does. It's the um, yeah, it's the sort of Peter Kay style, yes. isn't it? Yeah, I'm Peter Kay's pal, but mm, yeah... I don't know. I, I, he did that um, thing a few a couple of weeks ago that we talked about, the uh, greatest TV moments ever thing. It's sort of a, an awards show for, that existed for no purpose mm. with an easily pleased audience. It's sort of awards being given by people who didn't, didn't look as if they entirely understood why they were there or what these awards for yeah. were for. You know, <laughs> to stuff <laughs> that's of dated decades old. And you think, well, hang on, what's that for? But anyway, um, National TV Awards. The Ant and Deck thing's intriguing, isn't it? Because they've won the entertainment oh, presenter yes. category, which has now been renamed the Bruce Forsyth uh, honorary uh, some, something or other, but it's basically the same category. For, I think I think it is genuinely 17 years wow. on the trot. Something wow. like that. Now, the thing is, one day could be this week. 
they're not going to win it. Mm. And then you sort of think it's a bit like, what does that symbolise? It's not just oh, it's not been our year. If you have, a, it must be a, a real pressure. I'd feel a real pressure. It's a bit like you know being, you know, I don't know, Manchester City and and going to Anfield or something. Yeah. Or other. You you actually think well, it's an unbeaten run. Yeah, yeah, an unbeaten run. Losing has carries way more significance when you your unbeaten run goes on for a long, long time because you start asking questions that you're not used to necessarily asking yourself. Like what? Am I reading too much into this? What kind of questions do you think? You think, well, is this the, you know, are we finally, after all these years of, you know, being at the top of the game, our game, mm. are we finally, you know, is this the beginning of the end or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I know see what I mean? I are we on the slide a bit popularity-wise? Yeah, an inevitable questioning of you. Yes, yeah. because you're so used to, it's not like you sort of hover around some years it's your year and other years it's not your year and it, you know, it ebbs and flows like you know the awards for the soaps or something right? yeah. like one year it's EastEnders next year it's Corrie next year it's Emmerdale blah 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 it's like it's always them it's always them it's always, oh my goodness it's not them what does that mean that's, that's, <laughs> that's such a sort of you know seismic shift in things or possibly isn't but might be interpreted that unless way unless they retire the award yes you know whilst they're still holding it so if they win this year they could maybe retire that part of the award yeah i'd like it, to think that the trophy does have a, a bronze cast of brucey doing his sort of fist on the forehead thing yeah that would be good uh also i, I used to uh, do all the predictions for this but i can't be bothered because i get them all wrong anyway um but they've got uh, a new category mm. and uh, a merging of two categories for the, the, the there's no longer best drama male and female best drama it's just best drama and performance uh, which is no longer gender specific, which is fine. I think I don't mm-hmm. have an issue with that. That seems to make sense. You don't stop and think, uh, you know, I don't know, Saran Jones, for example, in Doctor Foster, or David Tennant in Broadchurch. Church, you know, that's, it's an, it's a level playing field, isn't mm-hmm. it? They're just people performing in dramas. That's fine. True. Um, so I'm okay. I could be quite right on about that. That was very. It was. Um, and then the other category that's new, which I find bizarre, is crime drama. Now, why has it taken so long for there to be a category of crime drama when there's so many crime dramas on telly. In fact, most dramas are crime dramas. Yeah. Most dramas are crime dramas. Is that true, do you think? It just it makes... I feel as if it is. Well, maybe the... Uh, perhaps it was uh, something that the, the makers of other dramas thought or put pressure on them to create because they were there were so many crime dramas in the regular category yeah. that they thought, oh, well, you know, we're getting squeezed out here. Yes. This needs its own thing. Leave space for the regular dramas. I guess there are two different... There's, two, I mean, there there's are crime dramas and there are dramas with crime in them. Yeah. Which is not necessarily the same thing. Crime dramas is normally a sort of detective thing, like I don't know, Endeavor or Lewis or this or, hard sun thing at the moment. Or yeah, what do you think of that? It's a bit gruesome for me. Yeah, too much gore. We'll yeah. get onto that in a minute. Um, but also, I think the key difference between crime dramas and and drama and and police turn, turning up in other dramas in crime dramas, ultimately the cops are always smart. They may be sort of idiosyncratic, and they may. Uh, get their man stroke woman via a circuitous route but ultimately ends with them being successful and we're Mm. meant to be impressed Mm -hmm. by their methods when police show up in non-crime dramas they're always idiots (laughs) they are aren't they because they're they're there just as a plot device so that somebody else whether it's a pathologist or or somebody else can actually show them up for their inadequacies (laughs) it's on at 7.30 and I think it goes on forever Um, yeah ITV are doing a lot of things that go on forever on a Tuesday night now. They did the dogs thing um, a few oh, days ago. Oh, the 100 ago. dogs. 100 dogs. Yeah, that was good, though. I Did Did you watch it all? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. Wow, <laughs> I actually right. did. did you and, watch it all? and at one point, they said, uh, I think it was when they got down to number 22, they said something like, um, just a reminder, they mentioned another dog that had been on earlier. Yeah. I said, a reminder, that dog was 75th. 
um, just in case you've nipped out to put the kettle on. And I was like, no, it was Sarah Cox. I said, no, Sarah, I haven't. I've been watching the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> so I haven't nipped out at any point. Watch the whole thing. I think... Um, well, me and my girlfriend were watching it because we needed to choose a dog. Uh, we want when we get a dog eventually. We this was the we thought this was the best shop window. For it's to, a shop to window. Pick the breed. And what did you decide? We've got we're going to go for a rescue whippet. That's not okay. a breed, but I mean a whippet that's been in a rescue situation. Yeah, what like in in Thunderbirds? <laughs> yeah, or sort of lifeboat international rescue whippet. Mm. What what? what? Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, well, we liked the idea of getting a rescue dog, per se, yes. and we just liked whippets. We looked at the whippet. They've got a lovely kind of yeah. wise face and an older one as well. We're going to get an older one. I think that's a lovely choice. Yeah. But then I'm biased of all dogs, you know, basically. Yeah. Good. But that was a long one, wasn't it? it was that a was a long one. one. And long then you've got the long National TV Awards, and then the week after that, next one's going to be a Britain's Favourite 100 Walks. Oh, that's good again. Two and a half hours of that. Oh, I'll probably sit through all of that. ITV have got me nailed here. Yeah, well, they're, maybe they're onto something. We should, yeah. we should, we should highlight this every week and praise them, mm. possibly on Twitter. We'll talk about that later as well. <laughs> Wednesday, January the twenty fourth. Now, last week's girlfriends, nine o'clock ITV, was one that confirmed my theory about police being useless because they turned out to have been useless. So that um, the girlfriends in this particular episode, which was um, Zoe Wanamaker and Miranda Richardson, could um, do the detective work, which enabled their friend. Uh, Linda, played by Phyllis Logan, to be freed from police custody. Freed from police custody. Mm-hmm. Where she'd been held on suspicion of murdering her husband. Yep. So we had further evidence that I was right. This week, Linda is back home in the safety and comfort of her own home, that's no longer nice. in a police cell. It's lovely. And all that's happening is that she's being held at knife point by a lunatic. Oh, well. Who's broken into her house. And Swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Yes. She's broken into a house, and I nearly stopped watching this series, because you know my thing about sh- shows where bad stuff happens to dogs? I'll yeah. switch them off and I'll abandon them. Bad stuff happened to a cat at the end of the previous series, oh, uh, episode, rather. And oh, that wow. was horrible and gratuitous, and I thought, right, well, I'll just apply the same thing here. But I decided to carry on watching it, because I quite like it, apart from that bit. So, yeah, she's got a knife being held to her throat by this lunatic who uh, believes that she was the one that um, Linda's ex-husband was really in love with. So mm. there you go. Also, Tom Carriage, Lose Weight for Good. <laughs> I, have, I have bought the book of this series. This is 8 oh. o'clock BBC Two, by the way, Wednesday nights. I bought the book and I've gone and I've made, or well, I say I. <laughs> My wife and I, between us, have made a number of the recipes in this book. What's his diet again? What's his, his diet plan? is basically, it's, 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 it's quite simple. You know, he used to weigh 30 stone nearly. Yeah. And he's lost, he's lost via his own diet, which largely involves going to the gym, cutting out carbs and cutting out booze. He, he's lost, I think, 13 stone. Yeah. Which actually still makes him heavier than me, but he looks very slim. I don't quite know how that works. Well, it, it's a complete transformation, isn't it? Yes. It's a sort of dramatic weight loss where... You almost don't recognise them. Yes, and, almost um, unrecognisable. And they're almost, you know, there's that problem with skin sometimes, isn't there? They look almost like they're, <laughs> well, is, they're yeah. too small for their old body. If you have a lot, I don't know what he looks like. On, you know, it's, no, it's a horrible thing. So I don't mean to be mean, but basically if you if you are very, very overweight and you lose a lot of weight, mm. there is always the possibility that, you know, your, your old skin is still, you know, needs attending to because, you know, sometimes the, you need... The other thing with chefs like this, isn't it, is that when he was 
larger. Yeah. You know, he was making food that, that was commensurate with that, wasn't it? You know, he was making pies, yes. lots of really fattening, but good, wholesome food and hearty yeah. food. And he would sort of sell it like that, wouldn't he? And sort of, yeah. you know, he probably had about three books out, you know, called Tom Kerridge's Wholesome Diet Food Diet. You know. Absolutely. And if you look on the old, 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 you know, the Good Food Channel, you can still you see, see his old, old shows, ones. the yeah. big old Tom so, making should, that stuff. Should they now start with a, with a, a 30 second. Um, preview with Tom going. Listen, what you're about to see is horrendous. Don't do any of it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because yes. it's like it's like the kind of they've had this Damascene conversion. Does that yeah. now render all their previous work completely obsolete? Well, that's the thing, isn't it, with 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 TV and with history? Because that stuff's always out there now. Yeah, more than ever. It's not as if you know. It's a bit like Friends. You know, it's out there. And everybody's watching Friends now and mm. thinking, oh, wow, you wouldn't make a TV show like that anymore, apparently. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, or, a bit of controversy or, there. Yeah, a bit of twaddle. It is. Um, but, um, so, well, it's anyway. Not really much like that. But yes, I've gone out and bought it. And, and uh, his, his basic principle here is actually just cutting out a lot of the fat and a lot of the, mm. the carbs in, uh, in most of the recipes and doing low-cal versions. So it's quite an old, it's quite an old-fashioned idea. And but that you can still bulk up. You can still have fairly large portions if it's the large portions of the right stuff. So you use a lot of you know fresh veg, and you, you, he does his brilliant burgers which you made, and you use um, courgettes oh, which right. you sort of um, shred down and uh, I think and carrots. Okay, and it adds bulk. Does it all? Is it a lot of faff? No, it's not. Oh, it's okay. not a That's lot of faff. That's key for me. That's huh? key. That's yeah, key it is. Yeah, it's not a lot of faff. It's not stupid ingredients. You think, well, where the heck am I ever going to find yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, it looks good. Uh, it's you're able to have fairly substantial portions because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the right substantial portion of the right stuff, and it feels like good substitutes for the unhealthy versions. Mm. So, in other words, he's doing things like burgers and curries and kebabs right. and, and what have you, uh, but it doesn't feel too diety. Yeah. So you know, it's working for me. That, and to be honest, the fact that I'm still predominantly doing the dry January thing. Does it taste nice? Yeah, no, really good. Okay. Well, yeah, and even a fried mm. chicken thing, which isn't actually fried, but tastes, yeah, it's amazing. Right. So well, good on Tom. Uh, yeah, I'm enthused. Yeah, because yeah, it did slightly irritate me before. Yeah. Doing the whole era of these bad boys and all that sort of yeah. nonsense. Yeah. Okay. I can't be doing that. He, he, he was, he's lost that. He's wandering he? into Jamie, early Jamie Oliver <laughs> sort of mucker, uh, pucker malarkey territory. Yeah, and yeah. Sort of catchphrases and stuff, which I can't be doing with. But there you go. So that's good. And that's on Wednesday, January 24th, BBC Two at 8 o'clock. Thursday, January the 25th. Now, Big Cats is uh, is very popular on BBC One. Yeah. 8 o'clock, Thursday nights. And this episode includes a guy who does a lot of cuddling with them. There's a brilliant, some, I think it's about 10 minutes into it, something like that. There's a guy in South Africa who um, has, has effectively lived with sort of amongst these sort of pride of rescued lions mm. uh, for about 10 years to the point where there's a, there's a shot of him sort of walk, walking up to a lion and the lion walking up to him. The lion just rears up on its hind legs and puts its, its front legs round this guy's shoulders and gives him a huge hug. Yeah. And you, initially you think, it's slightly awkward for a moment, you think, oh, is he about to eat him? But then actually, no, and they're sort mm. of hugging and stroking and rubbing faces. And you think, wow, that is incredible. And there's another shot a few minutes later where he's taking a nap and he's just lying. <laughs> you know when you see lions in yeah. these nature films? Oh, no, these lying great. And uh, Yeah, these people build relationships with them, yeah, don't they? And just all lying that. lying down, almost, it. I think, resting his head on the, the tummy of one of them. But, but I think the, the, the true answer to the question is, is he about to eat him? 
It's not no, it's not this time. Not because, this time. Because what invariably happens is yeah. they, they have these relationships with these animals for about 10, 15 years, and then comes the day when the animal does rip their head off. It'll be having a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. But and it, I think as we, as most of us who have had encounters with domestic cats, even their, our own cats, know that they are quite an unpredictable species, yeah. and a moment of affection, of affection can turn into something slightly... Sinister. Sinister. Mm. <laughs> At any moment, you just never know. <laughs> Also on Thursday the 25th, we've got another episode of Death in Paradise. Have you been watching any of this? this <laughs> of course around? not. No. Because this is, the, the, this is the, the series that actively irritates me and annoys me. Because oh, does it really? A lot? It, well, just because it's so inconsequential and clearly it's been... <laughs> clearly the idea was let's go to Barbados for a couple of weeks to film. Yes, it's not Barbados, but I know what you mean. But where is it now then? Somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and um, the island is called Sa- San Marie, but I don't quite know where it is. It's somewhere in... Yeah, it's around there. It's just an excuse for a jolly, isn't it? It's basic, yeah. So it gets a lot of, lots of well-known people turn up with, in it. And invariably, the well-known person is either the killer or the one who gets killed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so four minutes in, before it's, it's, it follows exactly the same pattern each week. There's the opening bit, before the opening titles, there's, you know, it immediately goes into the action. You see a recognisable face. More often than not, it's a recognisable face. Mm. That person's dead before the opening titles. <laughs> so the other recognisable face will turn out, which is invariably there, some relative or somebody they've fallen out with, will be the killer. Yeah. I, and I know because I've watched probably about six episodes. It's just so flimsy, isn't it? Yeah. It's very popular. Is, is it? Yes, yeah, hugely popular. Friday, January the 26th. Well, we don't talk about um, soaps very much because I know you're not a huge soap watcher. Mm. But you know me, I do love Coronation Street. Yeah. Audrey. Audrey um, Roberts. She's Gail's mum. You know, yeah. Gail Platt. Well, actually, that, it's a name that rings a bell, so yeah, she must she, be a big character. She's been around for years. Her great-granddaughter, because mm-hmm. her granddaughter, hang on a minute, yeah, her granddaughter's Sarah, so her great-granddaughter, yeah, it's Bethany. It is Bethany, who's been through all sorts of horrors in recent storylines, is now a lap dancer. All right. There's a great. I won't go through the dialogue, etc., because I'll kill, kill the jokes down there. But there's some great dialogue, uh, which involves um, Bethany's gran, that's Audrey, and her uh, sorry, her great gran, Audrey, and basically her family turn up at the lap dancing club to sort of, you know, they've they're horrified to realise she's working there. But on her day off, they think, well, let's at least go and see what this place is like, you know, find out for ourselves. So it might put our minds at rest to some degree mm-hmm. that she's working at this place. Uh, and um, there's some very funny lines, very ah. funny lines. They've turned it, what I thought was going to be quite a nasty thing, and probably will be quite nasty in, at some point, but at the moment they've made a sort of good Corrie comedy. Well, 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 is Coronation Street regaining its comedy mojo, do you think? Because you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there, there were some very funny jokes about registry versus register office. Yes, um, yes. So, and I wonder, is that in response to, uh, there was some criticism, wasn't there, from some high-profile people about what's happening, to, it was getting too... That's, what, me? Downbeat, you and others. Um, there were some yeah, other high-profile people. Parkinson wrote something, I Yeah, think, there were a couple of celebs who, who said things like, you know, it's gone too dark, and this yes. is not what we want Coronation Street to be. I don't think it's a response to that, for the simple reason that that wasn't that long ago, and I don't think, I, I think these episodes would have been right. written before that re- that criticism was made of those episodes, if you see what I mean. Yeah, well, maybe, I, I, maybe I, the writers I, just felt it themselves, yeah. I think so. I mean, it's, it is a great example of... There's quite a few laughs in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this Friday night episode. It's a great example of the fact that it, when it gets it right, it, it doesn't labour the joke. It doesn't sort of try and be wacky, which in soaps can be excruciating. Mm. It's just throwaway lines within a context of a story, which sort of, when it works really well, is is sending out a message saying, look, 
we know this is all just melodrama, but you know, so we're you know, the, the, it's just a little hint, a little reminder that it's not taking itself too seriously, even yeah. when the storylines are quite intense. Sure, it's it's sort of you know, it's not panto or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, it's got it knows it's it, it knows the right tone to strike. Mm. Um, so it does it really well. And at eight o'clock on uh, BBC Two, of course, as if you need reminding, we have uh, this week's episode of Mastermind. Excellent. Which is particularly interesting, bearing in mind a, a, a controversy that flared up uh, a couple of weeks ago, because one of the um, specialist subjects tonight is Red Dwarf. Yeah. Sci-fi sitcom, uh-huh. been running, very popular. Now, the question of what a specialist subject should be... And what is appropriate for Mastermind is is always a contentious one, isn't it? And um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Inbetweeners became one of yeah. the specialist subjects. And uh, a few people decided on Twitter, <laughs> including yourself, I know. Simon, that yeah. that was inappropriate and was, I believe, perhaps not your actual words, but certainly some people's words, dumbing the show down. Never mind the fact that you still have to learn an awful lot of material mm. and memorise it and have it uh, ready to sort of, you know, Draw on should it need need to be. Yeah, I mean, this has been bubbling under for a little while. And what happened was that on Friday, the boil of my frustration burst. Ah. And and it wasn't a pleasant sight. No, it never is. (laughs) And it burst all over John Stitcher, who was the guy who was doing the in-betweeners as a subject. Yeah. Uh, And I I wrote a little thing on Twitter, you know, basically saying that this isn't a proper subject, given that some of the other contestants were... uh, What was the other... I think the other contestant was was answering questions about Da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci, and there was another yeah. heavy hitting, something like the Roman Empire, another heavy hitting subject. What, the whole of it? <laughs> yeah. And I, I just sometimes think that to do something that you're a fan of anyway, that you would watch for fun and entertainment, and therefore, you know, imbibe all the information that you needed to know about it anyway, mm. doesn't always amount to a. Oh, wow, you're digging yourself a hole sub- again now. Well, well, what I'm sorry about more than anything is that I went on Twitter and mentioned this because John Stitcher was the contestant, was, mm-hmm. was looking through Twitter at the time because I used the hashtag mastermind. So. Whilst I didn't include him directly in the tweet, yeah. the offensive tweet, which I think is an awful thing to do. Yeah, it's a pity you don't have the opportunity to actually <laughs> say sorry to John well, directly. Well, I do, I do, because we've invited John onto the onto the podcast to talk to us. John Stitcher, hello. Hello, I'm here. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, You're and, welcome. And sorry, first of all, let me just make that a public apology. You weren't the only one, and I was expecting it. And I, I thought this as soon as it was recorded, because the other three subjects were... As you say, Da Vinci, yeah. but it was J.S. Spark, the composer, That's and right. the Dreyfus Affair. So they're three very highbrow subjects, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I clearly have the lowest brow subject <laughs> anyone's ever done. So I kind of expected this, but I mean, there were other comments saying I was cheating to pick a subject that small, and it was a disgrace. And <laughs> really, I mean, for me, I mean, I can laugh it off, but there will be other. There would have been someone else who that could have happened to, who could have taken it to heart. Yeah. So, and I did actually apologise to you on Twitter as well, because about yeah. an hour or two later, I was looking through your feed and I noticed that people had been kind of tweeting about it. And you were nobly retweeting the insults and the criticism. <laughs> well, why did you do that, first of all? It's, well, it's, sort of, it's, it's passive aggressive, isn't it? It's to let them know I know what they've said about me yeah. but without directly responding. So that give them a little moment to think that maybe the person they're saying this stuff about it is a person yeah. who who is who could see it. Exactly. And, I mean, there was one person whose comment because I my career is I'm a professional poker player, right. and her comment was somebody on in between somebody on Mastermind tonight is doing in between as their specialist subject and as a professional poker player. I cannot think of anybody I'd rather hang out with less. I know that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, so think... I just 
Yeah, and my reply to that was, well, that's your loss, because I'm awesome. Yeah, yeah, and actually very, quite the opposite, because if you're a professional poker player, that's rather an interesting job, you know. That's <laughs> not a job. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I was into that bit. But yeah. <laughs> Twitter turns you into that, doesn't it, Mike? It kind of, it's, it's that impersonal, or, or so you think, impersonal hitting out. I think this is the problem, because everything, it's just, it's just a, you know, a, a face, a name, or not even a real name a lot of the time on a screen. It, it dehumanises us mm. so easily, and I think you forget, as John just said, you know, ultimately it's another human being. Would you say that to that person directly if you bumped into them, I don't know, in the pub or whatever? No. Uh, your argument actually was perhaps we're getting to the point now where younger people who use Twitter, who've grown up with it, and it's, it's more an instinctive part of their lives, perhaps are more desensitised in their sort of everyday, mm-hmm. you know, relationships because the the sort of the reactions that you provoke on Twitter, Twitter almost seems to encourage polarisation of opinions and views yeah. and, 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 you know, provocation almost. It, it, maybe that sort of, you know, seeps through into our everyday exchanges with ordinary people in more conventional situations. Well, this is what I, do you think, John, that although there is a different persona sometimes on Twitter, and I, I certainly wouldn't have said that to your face to use that test... Do you worry that actually in younger people especially they're getting so inured to the, to this kind of aggressiveness that they maybe actually they would and their normal interactions would now involve this kind of level of aggressiveness? Well, I mean, I don't really know many young people, but I suspect that they, are be, they, they probably are more outspoken because they're so used to saying what they think because they've got this, they've got an outlet for it. I mean, when I was a teenager, something upset you, you I suppose some people have a diary that they might write it in, but yeah. you have no proper outlet to let people know. Yeah. Whereas these guys are growing up saying, oh, look at that person on telly, what an idiot he is. Mm. But they're, they're putting it out to everybody to see and you're being very open with your life. And, right. yeah. I mean, so, was, yeah. what, was it hurtful, hurtful at all to see those things or, or did you just brush it off? I'm quite thick-skinned, so it, it didn't really bother me. The comment, I just wanted to make people aware that, you know, they're saying it's cheating and I've dumbed down the show. But I did put an awful lot of work into that in a very short space of time because I only had three weeks, really, to... Yeah. And so it was more like, I just wanted to let them know that, OK, I did well on my subject, and yes, my subject was maybe smaller than the others, but it was still a lot, a lot of work yeah, to get sure. 15 out of 15 right. Sure. And I was very proud of that, so I wanted to make sure people knew. Mm. But um, it's, not, it's not, to me, I mean, the, the, the ridiculous comment that it's cheating. To, ultimately, if your subject wasn't considered appropriate, you wouldn't have been allowed to do it, first of all. Well, uh, that's true, yeah. And, 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 and secondly, it's a competition. So, you know, you, you use the rules... And you use the boundaries of, set by the competition to your advantage. So, uh, the, clo- you know, the closest I can think of this, this sounds like a r- ridiculous comparison, but when I did my French A-level, <laughs> a long, long time ago, you, the, when you wrote an essay in, 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 in my French A-level, they gave 75% of the marks each, each essay for uh, accuracy and 25% for the quality of what you've written. So all, I always used to write the most ridiculously, moronically simple French and I got almost entirely, almost all my 75% and then got very, you know, hardly anything for the sort of the creative element of it. And my teacher used to get really annoyed and he used to hand me back and say, well, I've had to give you that, but that's not really... The... I just think, well, that, that's the flaw in the system. If the system yeah. is yeah. so flawed that it allows you to sort of work it that way, then you'd be a fool not to. Yeah, and the other thing, John, is that had you got through, unfortunately you didn't, but if you'd have got through to the next round, you would have had to choose another subject. So, yes. You couldn't, um, you couldn't have done Friday that again, really. Dinner. No, <laughs> yeah. well, my, 
My second, if I got to, well, I actually was, I ended up being a reserve for the semi-finals because I was so close to being a high-scoring runner-up. Right. So I did have to learn my subject, which would have been the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, which is actually a very narrow subject because there's only seven of them. Mm-hmm. But when people hear that, they think, oh, that's interesting, True. that's history, that's geography, that's a, that's a nice highbrow subject, that's perfect, that's a mastermind. But I, there was less to that than there was in between. Yeah, perhaps. It's it's about the volume, isn't it? The sheer it's volume a discipline. of it's knowledge. A dis- yeah. It's a learning discipline. You know, even yeah. going back to the days of, I don't know, Fred Housko, the, you know, the kid yeah. who famously won it. It's ultimately about disciplining your mind and your routine to, to sort of absorb information and have that there. And it, ultimately, the subject itself possibly doesn't matter so much as your ability to sort of take that on board and be prepared for any yeah, question yeah. that might come your way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but was, you, it, was there an element, though, John, whereby to revise that wasn't a chore? And because it's in your kind of frame of reference and, you're, and, and it happened while you're alive, that, is, is that not easier than learning about something that's a little bit more abstract, like J.S. Bach or Da Vinci? Well, I, I, you have a good point there. I mean, the, the in-betweeners was always an escape for me. So if, I, if something got me down, you know, I could put it on, watch a couple of episodes, not really pay full attention because I've seen it before yeah. and I enjoyed it. So, yes, to a point... It was it was easy to watch it, but when you're making notes on a show that you love yeah. and watching and you're not you're not watching the episode, you're watching it and then you think, oh, what did he say there? What's the name on that driver? Yes. Like, rewind it. It's, it's not, not fun anymore. Any, no, it's and it became a chore. Yeah. Time. I was like, I can't be bothered watching this show ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's one of my favourite shows. It's hard to have that feeling. So but... it it just became like any other revision in that sense. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just like same thing over and over again. Mm, sure. Make sure it's set. I always said I'd do 40 Towers, which probably would be accused of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Because only 12 episodes. Yeah, well, that, the in-between was actually only my third choice. Uh, the first choice I put forward was Red Dwarf. And the reason <laughs> I didn't get to do that was I'd given that to somebody else. Which this is this person who's coming out. Yeah, and then I asked to do The Office, which they said, no, there's, not, there's only 12 episodes, that's not enough. So I looked at my, D- I looked at my DVD collection and thought, what could I do? Ah, in-between, if that's only three series, I'll chance my arm. And it got through. They loved it. They thought it was a great idea. Right, so, right. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if they did that aware of the fact that there would be a bit of a backlash. Well, I always thought, I thought that from the moment I was on the show because, I, as I said, I was a professional poker player. The three people I was up against were a pharmacist, a lecturer, and a teacher. And they're all doing their very highbrow subjects, and mm. there's me, poker player, doing it between <laughs> us. So I think they, they may have been... The casting directors have thought that through well and put me on a, a show yeah. where it's probably going to get reactions because that's what they want. You know, the, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Yeah. You were stitched up, if you'll pardon the, the, the <laughs> um, Never heard that one before. No. Red, Red Dwarf, actually, is, is you know, a lot of series to actually remember, isn't it? It's 12 series yeah, 12, now, yeah. yeah. So I was, to be honest, I was quite relieved because that would have been, a, that would have been, a, that would have been more work. Um, so, also, it was a BBC show, so every episode's half an hour long instead of 22 minutes. But what, yeah. was, the, uh, what was the overall experience like, John, of being on the programme? Uh, it was, yeah, it was good fun. It was, um, it was the audition. Was, it was the third time I'd auditioned. It was the first time I'd got on. Um, and it's yeah, it was because I don't live that far from Manchester, where it's, it's filmed at Media City in Salford. So mm. it's just you went in there, met the rest of your team, sat in the green room, got debriefed, and then you went down, had your makeup done, you were in and out. So it was it was quite quick, really, because it's they've got five episodes to film a day, which yeah. is a lot of work for them. So and, and I'll tell you what, though, the catering, the hospitality at Media City is fantastic. <laughs> Very good food. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Good Can to I know. I ask you one thing, John. Uh, it's, I know it's been brought up a million times, and you've probably been asked it, and everybody else has been asked it, but I've never actually found the definitive answer to this. Um, I've always thought that rather than say pass, you should just give any random answer, even if it's just, you know, banana, 
just so that at the end of it you don't have any passes against you which might count against you in, in, a, in a tie. Do they tell you that you can't do that? Um, I don't recall it being said anywhere. I mean, I didn't pass. I just I gave some very strange answers, but yeah. they were they vaguely fitted because I didn't want to to pass. But the re- if you pass if you if you pass the question, he moves straight on. If you don't pass, he says no and gives the answer. So oh, by guess. not passing, you are easing into your time a little bit. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, if anything good has come from this, it's that I've become a nicer person. Uh, I was I was even nice to a cold caller today, so you know. Oh no, that's that gone too far the other way. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, so John, listen. Thanks for coming on and being a good sport. And oh, uh, my apologies again. I, I I've changed my ways. <laughs> oh, no, as I said, I wasn't offended. I just I had to get my point back to you. Great stuff. I think I feel like I've done something. You have. You have, John. Nice to talk to you, John. Take Cheers, it easy, John. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So what else on Friday night? Anything else to talk about? Just uh, very briefly, the uh, hypes, hypes, hits, hype and hustle, an insider's guide to the music business. Why are titles so long these days? I still haven't quite worked that out. Um, this is a continuation of this uh, BBC Four three-part series. This week it's looking at why at live gigs um, and how they've suddenly become the money spinner and had to become the money spinner in the age where sort of everybody expects you know albums for free. I have either via streaming or or, mm. or downloading or such like. Yeah, so true. it used to be the other way around. You know, you go on tour to promote your album, whereas now you bring out your album to promote your tour. Yeah, true. And I actually very rarely go to gigs now because tickets cost exactly one arm and one leg uh-huh. for anything. I, I, you know, I used to sort of... I wasn't going that often, but I used to go relatively often. And I just... I can't remember the last time I went to a gig because I just... You know, it's like... But that's the consequence, isn't it, of us demanding things free and streaming? Yes, it is. So that is the that is the the sort of effect. Of, yeah, it's a direct result of that. Yeah. So we need to, as consumers, realise that there is that consequence. That you know, it's the same, I guess, with free content on the internet, isn't it? Newspapers, yeah. wherever it might be. There is a consequence to it. Yeah. But then, you know, having said that, you know, if I thought, well, okay, I'd like to be able to see this out, this this act for less money than they currently charge. So I'll start buying their albums physically as vinyl or DVD. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not going to... Me making that decision isn't going to make much difference, is it? Well, no. <laughs> but then if everyone thought that... Yeah. There you go. Saturday, January the 27th. Yeah. I think what we need on a Saturday night is a brand new singing competition. <laughs> Crying out for it. This one, I've not seen any of it. I don't even know if there's a preview available. I haven't bothered to check. It has... Oh, good grief, written all over it. It's called All Together Now, 7.15, BBC One, introduced by Rob Beckett, mm-hmm. uh, and featuring, among others, uh, former Spice Girl Jerry uh, Horner, as she's now known, formerly Jerry Halliwell, Ginger Spice. Yep. Uh, and the idea is that um, a succession of people come on to perform. It could be individuals, it could be bands, it could, be, and they're performing any type of music under the sun, pretty much. Well, not probably any type, but you know, a, a, a wide variety. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, uh, a group of uh, music experts and specialists and fans and whatever known as the Hundred, who are effectively uh, the panel yeah. judging each act as it comes on. Okay. Uh, one of whom is is I, I I don't know she's orchestrating this lot or what Jerry Halliwell is amongst them, um, who are encouraged if they like this act to get up and sing along, hence the all together now thing. And the more people this act uh, gets out of their seat to sing along from this one hundred, oh uh, the greater the chance they have of progressing to the next stage, where ultimately at the end of the rainbow is a fifty thousand pound prize. It just sounds terrible. 
It does. Doesn't it? And I, as I'm judging it, I'm not having seen anything, just reading what the uh, the basic premise is. Mm. Doesn't that sound awful? I mean, it just it sounds, it smacks of that, let's sit round the table and try and hammer out desperately another yes. format for a singing competition, yeah. doesn't it? See, I get annoyed just watching, say, on The X Factor when Nicole Scherzinger starts getting up and mm. dancing. Yeah, yeah. So just sit down. Yeah. Shut up, sit down. Or, or worse, when, when Simon sort of starts to wiggle a bit, not that he does very often, but no. think, oh, come on, mate, you're the, a 56-year-old wor- man, you the, don't like I know. stuff. <laughs> oh, on that subject, yeah. isn't it weird when older radio presenters introduce really newer songs from, you know, bubblegum pop acts? I'm thinking of um, Ken Bruce on Radio 2. Right. And Radio 2 will play the odd bit of, I don't know, Katy Perry or something yeah. that's really aimed at a younger audience. Yeah. And it's just it's weird not, yes. hearing him come off the back of it and go, oh, Katy Perry there, oh, what a yes. great It's a clash of the two Radio 2s, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's the traditional Radio 2, which is very... And, and there's the sort of more modern Radio 2, which is the sort of people who grew up with Radio 1 but are a bit too old for it now. Yeah. But so. I, I, I'll see this sometimes in a, if you're in a store and you'll see older people singing along to really young songs. Yes. And you think, that just doesn't look right. You no. know, you should have your era yeah and then move on don't yeah. especially with pop don't try and get into pop or yeah, enjoy it feels like pop. you're trying too hard and actually that x-factor panel now with sharon osborne louis walsh and and simon simon Cow- you know the average age is yeah. like 50s or something or other even brought down by nicole to some degree you just think oh this is a bit kind of you know trying to please your parents yeah it's <laughs> and was that that seems wrong that seems bizarre mm. anyway that's beside the point all together now Seven, uh, good luck with it, by the way, if you want to watch it. I will watch it because I don't want to just judge this on what I've read. Talking of which, finally, Sunday, January the 28th, McMafia is continuing oh, on yeah. BBC it's One. It's supposed to be good, isn't it? It's supposed to, uh, Do you know what? I've decided I don't like it. Oh. James Norton plays this guy, this this banker, who's been uh, tried to go straight and try to live a sort of squeaky clean, squeaky clean life. But the fact is that his parents have, uh, 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 you know, mafia connections and all sorts and you know uh, from, he comes from a shady background which he's trying to shake off mm. but it catches up with him and it's caught up with him for, you know and i've just got you know we're into i don't know episode four something like that out of eight and yeah. i'm thinking it's just full of horrible people sort of making furtive phone calls and doing things on you know with numbers on the computer and and and, and sort of you know and then shooting each other and then just it's just uh, it's full of unlikable people doing unfathomable, unfathomable yeah. stuff. I've just, I mean, has anyone got any room for this in their lives? <laughs> you know, well, there's, there's already enough of this stuff out there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've no idea whether it's it's accurate. You know, it's based on stuff that that rings true. I, I don't really care. No. Um, but I'm just watching it and thinking, this is. You know, I don't care about any of these people. They're yeah. awful people. You know, even the straight guy, which is him, mm. still quite sort of cold and unlikable. I'm just thinking, oh, I'd rather watch 100 Greatest Dogs. Yeah. Telly's entertainment, isn't it? Yeah, so that's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> did you watch an old dog? I know I said I sat through it, 100 Dogs. Did you? No. Well, no. Well, maybe like get say, that on catch up. Uh, I, I, I could do it, and I'll catch up. Yeah, it's better to watch most things on catch up because you can just fast through, forward through the yeah. ads, can't you? There was a lot of breeds I didn't get, I didn't know about. Well, there, there's a lot of cross breeds. Yeah. Um, and, and just sort of. Know. What I don't get. Is if you have say um, yeah obvious co- commonly known crossbreeds like a labradoodle yeah now, yeah when they come to breed do you breed them with another labradoodle or do you breed them with um, to keep the labradoodle strain or yeah, whatever it is going I think so yeah or do you just say well it's crossbreed anyway so we'll have another it doesn't matter and it can breed with anything so it could be a 
labradoodle plus plus something else yeah or or something like that rather strict rules now that apply to those crossbreeds even though they've come via a route where the old rules were sort of torn down well no i think you could continue to kind of mutate them (laughs) i mean it's amazing what we've done with dogs in quite a short time because they were all wolves at the start obviously yeah and we really have gone when you look at compare it with cats which all cats they're out of control aren't they well they generally look the same well, they do generally, but we, we we haven't domestic cats. Yeah, we haven't altered the the cat gene pool as much. as No, we not have to the same degree. Mm. No, no, I don't think there's any species on earth no. that's as varied as as your dog. So yeah, you know, from a Chihuahua to St Bernard. That's it. Yeah, you know, if you didn't know that they were the same species, then you, you would think you wouldn't guess. Yeah, how can a Chihuahua be descended from a wolf? I know they that's still think that, they are. That's what's you, gone wrong. That's, that's why they bark so much. They still think they're wolves. Do you think so? Yeah, they don't know that they're small. <laughs> they don't know that they're little, <laughs> they do they? They don't know. They, when they meet a St. Bernard, they might. Yeah, possibly. They soon find out. Yeah. 13 St. Bernard puppies that dog had. Did you see? I saw that's, that bit. I know. That's a lot. I quite like the Vimarana. Those were cute. Oh, puppies. yeah. I love them. Uh, Robert De Niro's Waiting was my favourite. <laughs> That was Telly.Click. You can subscribe, unsurprisingly, at Telly.Click. 